Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Living without honor. One of the greatest needs that a human being knows, subconsciously even, is the need for respect. Men may be more so than women, but there's that need to, to, to be respected among peers. And to think that God himself, the creator <clears throat> of all things, becoming a man, not recognized as a man, and treated with such contempt and disrespect. And yet, out of all that contempt and disrespect, he continued to love people. And the reason Jesus was able to do that as a, as a man is because he wasn't looking horizontally. He was looking vertically. He sought the honor that come from his Father in heaven. And this is what faith is all about. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and says, You are those who seek honor from one another, not the honor that comes from God. You seek the honor on the horizontal level, therefore you have not faith. You Without that proper understanding, faith is disconnected and belief settles in the heart. What we find here in this chapter is Jesus is now revisiting his hometown there in Nazareth. He is traveling with his disciples who are following him there and he's no longer, he's not coming back to the city as the son of Joseph and Mary, the carpenter, but as a rabbi. His disciples are following him. And this uh, that's where we pick up our story here. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this with which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joses, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, and among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. So as Jesus returns back to Nazareth, as I said there, coming to the, on a Saturday, time to go to church, right? And as he begins to speak, he really amazes the people. It is a perplexing thing. They're overcome. They cannot get their minds around the authority by which Jesus is teaching. He left there the last time, quoting Isaiah 61, where he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled. He didn't teach them other than give them the word 
from the scriptures that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. No doubt this word settled down within the leaders of that synagogue. And so upon his return, I'm sure their skeptical hearts were on full alert to what Jesus would say. In John chapter 7, verse 15, the establishment marveled at Jesus that he could speak with such knowledge and such wisdom, having not studied at the feet of another instructor. He had no formal education. Where did he get his education? Jesus, I believe, his education come with his personal time spent with the Father. Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. The Bible tells us that we now, as the believers in Christ who have received the Holy Spirit, have an unction. We have the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God that teaches us. So no doubt it was the Spirit of God, because Jesus served as a man, as we do, but he was instructed and taught from the Torah by the Holy Spirit. This is where his wisdom came from. This is where his understanding came from. When he spoke, he spoke by the Spirit, as the Father spoke, as it were, through him to the people that he ministered to. No doubt Jesus prepared himself in the Scriptures from his youth. So he was well acquainted with the first five books of the Bible. That would have been his Bible, the Torah. And... He was already grasping these deeper thoughts and deeper concepts of the scriptures. We know this because when he was 12 years old, he stayed behind and was talking to the Pharisees and to the scribes there in the temple. And mom and dad had already left and departed to go home from the feast. But Jesus remained behind talking with these men. And it says that they were really impressed by Jesus' ability and and how he was already grasping deep spiritual truths and concepts from the Word of God. I'm of the opinion that learning the Scriptures is of the most highest priority for the believer. And it doesn't take a seminary degree to learn the Scriptures. I think it's rather simple. Simple reading and meditation in the Scriptures along with the Holy Spirit's guidance, you will come to wisdom and you will come to understanding. And God wants that for all of his children. He is no respecter of persons. If you read the scriptures, if you'll pray the scriptures, if you'll wait on the Lord in meditation, just thinking and pondering over what you've read, God will open your eyes. The eyes of your understanding. You'll be enlightened. Revelation and illumination will follow. That is the way it works. He's of no respect of persons. This waiting on the Lord allows the Holy Spirit to instruct you, to quicken your spirit. You ever, you ever had that time just doing your devotions and all of a sudden like, whoa, I didn't see that before. That's really cool. Oh, wow. I had those eruptions on occasion. <laughs> whoa, that's really cool. Man, it's just, to be honest with you, it's addicting. Man, this is really fun. I just love the word, man. It's just, it's, you know, it's like drinking in when you're thirsty and it's just, ah, oh, so, it quenches the thirst. How our 
how we are thirsty in this desert land of fallenness. We need to be drenched with the truth from God's word. It says here that they struggled with that whole idea of how he could deliver such powerful message having not studied or had, having not been educated. And that how he performed these mighty works by his hands. The word mighty there is dunamis. We're more familiar with it in that root, in the word dynamite. What Jesus did was he blew the place up with good works, man. Power that came forth from his life. The works there is energy. Uh, we'll get our English word energy from it. Dynamic power at work. Now, notice here the emphasis. Twice he mentions the hands. What is it about our hands? The right hand is talked as about authority in scripture, the idiom for authority. But we were giving hands the Ecclesiastes talks about the keeper of the house that begin to shake when you get older. You know, the palsy and the things, that, the nerves that break down and all, the things that can happen with age, the keepers of the house. Our hands are an idiom for serving. God, through Jesus Christ, was serving mankind. Truly the hand of God was upon the life of Jesus Christ. This is how he did those things. The Bible talks a lot about our hands. We lay hands on people. We anoint them with oil. And we're identifying with them. We're transferring the blessing and the power of God into somebody else's life. That which we've received, we pass on to others. You cannot give what you do not have. You must first receive before you can give. That's what Paul's theme was. That which I received from the Lord... It's what I imparted unto you. And this is the way it works. Jesus did mighty works by his hands. And what's amazing, rather than being like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Jesus, you are so great. You are so wonderful. That was the opposite. They were offended. And in this context, it means they were shocked with utter amazement. They were stumbled because his, of, of his ability before the people, in word and in deed. Because they were trying to figure out, how, pray tell, are you doing this? And of course, the, the, the Pharisees were the key ones at accusation. Oh, he's doing this by Beelzebub. And they really did think Jesus was demon-possessed, which is sort of ironic they just unfortunately at that time in history they didn't didn't really have mirrors because the mirrors would have been a perfect tool for them to have in their synagogues if they had just looked in the mirror they were the ones that had the demons you know we gain a little insight i think from why they possibly were offended not only the family but the people in Nazareth uh, in regards to his brothers in John's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 3 through 6, we read, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here, go into Judea, which implies Jerusalem, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. 
For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is already. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. They did not believe him. Look, Jesus, and you know, you, there's just that skepticism. You can almost read it in the, in, the, in the lines there. You want others to believe in you. You want this following? You really want a people believe that you're the Messiah? Well, then go up there and just broadcast it. Let everybody know. But that's not God's ways. It wasn't, as Jesus said, it wasn't time for him to die. That's what he's referring to there. Some of the words that Jesus spoke spoke to the people brought conviction of their sin. And there's some people that obviously did not want to hear what he had to say. No doubt in that synagogue there in Nazareth, there were the priests, the scribes sitting there. They were there to set the people straight. Everyone else had problems but them, you know. They refused to see their own shortcomings. But I think these... Another reason is they couldn't reconcile that a plain, ordinary guy from the community, you know, this lowly carpenter guy, how could he possibly be doing these miracles? I mean, raising the dead, casting out demons and healing all these people, when all he'd been doing is creating these beautiful things out of wood, stone and metal. Those are the materials that carpenters used in that day. Jesus obviously was probably very highly skilled. He could have built homes, could have made yoke for oxen. There's a number of things he could have done during those initiation years as, as an apprentice under his father. And then it appears at this time that Joseph has now passed away because he's not mentioned here. It's Mary and his brothers and sisters there present at the synagogue. No speaking of the father. So, you know... They have this preconceived idea about Messiah. We have naturally preconceived ideas on how God is going to work in our lives, don't we? Are you as guilty of that as I am? <laughs> we often picture in our minds how the future is going to transpire. We're praying about this, and boy, this would be a this would be a perfect way for you to work that out, Lord. Would you just kind of do that for us? <laughs> never works out like I think it should or would, right? And I've learned, gotten better at it, just pray about it and let it go. Trust God because he's, his ways are much higher and better and more thorough and far-reaching, etc. Just let him have his way and his, and his timing. You know, we, <laughs> we just have these preconceived ideas that things are supposed to be a certain way and then it's, if it's not that way, then there's this mental pushback. Oh, no. No, no, no. You know, this cognitive dissonance that psychologists refer to. It sort of like separates your head from your shoulders. Like, wait, no. No, that can't be. I mean, it's just too far removed from what we could consider as being real. I mean, there's a lot of that going on in our culture right now, isn't there? We 
learn from history that we learn nothing from history. <laughs> you know, we had this thing where we sort of look at history in this linear fashion. And so then we take that linear fashion by which we view history and we project it into the future so that the future is going to be kind of like the past and yet we don't take into consideration personalities. We don't take into consideration you know, potential natural disasters or tremendous upheaval with, that could happen within a culture. So we, we just make huge mistakes by our presuppositions and ideas and ideals. You know, just to solidify our issues, I'll pick on one of the things that I'm good at or not good at, however you want to look at it. One, I think it's one of the things men in particular have trouble with. Um, finding things in the cupboard. My wife will ask me, could you go get this out of the cupboard for me? Oh, sure, honey. No problem. So in my mind, on my little trek over to the cupboard, I'm thinking, this is what this particular object looks like. And so I begin to look for that object that she's telling me to get looks like in my own mind. And lo and behold, I can't find it. The object doesn't look like I pictured it in my mind, therefore I cannot see it. And so after a long delay and with no results, in an unappreciated way, my wife will get up and come over here, it's right here. Can't you see that? <laughs> gentle rebuke, right? You know, I'll come to find out the thing was right in front of my face the whole time. But it didn't look like it should look like in my mind, right? You know, that's the way it was with Jesus. He doesn't look like a Messiah. Well, what's a Messiah supposed to look like anyway? I remember years ago we were doing a concert back in the late 70s. And this lady come up to me, and back then we had long hair, and whether you're a Christian or not, you know, a lot of the Christian bands that were coming through, the guys were still, were still in that tail end of the hippie movement, right? <laughs> and these guys were preaching the gospel and playing gospel music, and we were witnessing to the crowds and, the, and all, and this lady, Christian lady, came up to me and says, how can these guys be Christians? They have long hair. And of course, I wasn't very old in the Lord at the time, you know, a couple years in maybe, and I just said, well, what's a Christian supposed to look like? <laughs> but that's the way it is. We have preconceived ideas on certain things, and if it doesn't meet that criteria, well, then it can't be, you know. Shocker for you ladies, men are visually oriented, right? the problem is that was a problem for the men and women in Nazareth and really throughout Israel in one sense that they were shocked at the ministry of Jesus because he didn't meet their expectation on what their preconceived ideas that Messiah would be like or what he would look like you know I think that's true with us in a lot of ways today we do expect God to work in a certain way and be a certain way to us and if it's not that way then we can be offended by the way that God works John the Baptist let's t we're in a good company John the Baptist was offended by Jesus 
send his disciples while he's locked up in prison. You know, here I've been faithful to God, and now I've gotten you know put in the you know the slammer, and you know, Jesus is what he's eating with sinners. Man, I was out in the wilderness eating you know locusts and honey, and that guy's slamming it. Whoa, this is. Ask him if he's the one, or should we be looking for somebody else a little bit more like us? A little more, you know, rigid in our habits. Abstaining from the flesh, you know, because we're spiritual people here. So Jesus was ministering in a way that John the Baptist didn't appreciate, the way I would take it. We all have those things about us. Preconceived ideas. You know, on... In regards to his family, you know, I'm going to give you know everybody a pass here because we're all guilty. That's just human nature, right? But maybe it was because they were thinking this is a little too personal. I mean, how could Jesus? How, I mean, the Messiah, my my brother. Wait, no, no, no. And maybe you know. Their buddies and the community relationships. Hey, man, I hear that your brother's over there in you know Capernaum, like 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 crazy things are happening, like miracles and demons getting cast out and people getting healed and like there's tons of people coming to listen to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people think he's the Messiah. I know. They may maybe they were just embarrassed. How would you like to How would you like to make excuses for Jesus? You know. <laughs> be a tough but some for some reason they couldn't embrace him now Mary's you notice is not in this list it was her the brothers Mary would have known maybe she just kept everything in her heart as was her manner about spiritual things you know it's hard to try to give people answers for things we don't understand things that we don't Things that make us uncomfortable. Unless you're a politician. Then you can just make it up. It doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> People that have a conscience, we don't, it, it's uncomfortable for us to explain things or give a reason for things we don't understand. Plain and simple, sometimes we're just blinded by the obvious. It's staring at us right in the face. It's right there, and we can't see it for what it is. We forget don't we? Prophets, priests, men of God grow up from little boys. They saw Jesus, many of the citizens probably remember little Jesus running around the carpenter shop with dad, putting on his little belt and helping dad out. And now he's grown to a man and look at this. How can this be? So he's rejected. He's no longer, he's not held in honor. There's no respect. He could do no mighty miracles there, as the scripture tells us, because of their unbelief. But he did manage to get a few people healed. You know, one of the things that we should mention here is that he was there. He, these were his people. This was his own country. And he had been there, and he had revealed himself as he was, Messiah. So he's coming back at least the second time here with this ministry within this Synagogue as Messiah. You know, that's, we take, should take heart. God doesn't give up on us. 
I'm going to give these people another shot. I'm going to, you know, be here and available for them. God never gives up on people. He never gave up on Judas, did he? Right at the last minute. I mean, the guy has betrayed him. He's come up to him and kissed him. And what does Jesus say? Uh, um, we're more of the persuasion of Peter. Let's take that guy's head off. And he was, maybe that's what he should have done. He went after the, maybe the high priest's servant Malchus got in the way and he's really going after Judas, you know. But what does he say after the kiss? Friend, betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Really, you're going to do this? You're going to do this? We were friends. You know, how does he handle? He never gives up on people. He loves people. Not until the dying breath. He's right there wanting to forgive, wanting to reconcile. It's, the people were, as it says here, again, they were astonished, perplexed. They couldn't figure it out. They were astonished at his words and his deeds, but look what Jesus marveled at. They marveled at what he said and did. He marveled at it because they didn't believe. Even though he did those things, they could not accept him. They refused to receive the ministry of Jesus. And so often, as is, God wants to do a whole lot more in our lives. And I'll probably be speaking to the empty chairs here this morning. God wants to do so much more in people's lives, but they don't believe. Why don't why are people faulty in their church attendance? Why is it, you know, church attendance sort of an optional thing? Well, you know, I go when I feel like it. I've mentioned this before, I'll be a broken record till the day I die. You know, if we I think it's because we really fail to understand the concept of the body of Christ. We are a family. We are, as families, uh, is, is through blood, naturally, through the blood relationship. We are one family in the spirit. We have gifts and talents and blessings from God that we share with other body members. Ephesians speaks about how we supply the body through love. The Bible exhorts us in Hebrews 10.25 not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but we should be assembling more so as the day is approaching of his return. How do you meet somebody's need unless you're around them? You may have something that you need desperately to happen in your life and yet you will stay home, you'll do anything else but attend church where you could have had that need met. And then you whine and complain to God because your needs are not being met. Where are you, God? Well, I'm here, but you're, you've forsaken the assembly. I can't really give you what you need because you're not there. Not only are you missing out on what you should receive, but what about your gift? How God has blessed you and how God has anointed your life, whether you believe it or not, he has gifted all of us with something. And it's more blessed to give than receive. And your job and my job is to come and to give what we've received. And there's this beautiful exchange of giving and receiving that takes place in the family of God. And if you forsake the assembly of the saints, then you forsake that blessing and the blessing upon others. You see, 
it is the expression of utter selfishness. Now that should probably, you know, I should gain a lot of favor with that statement, I'm sure. And if you're convicted, then you need to deal with it. But it's the truth. And I say that because I see what's happening in the church. And, it's, it's, and I'm not saying this church per se, but across the world. It's easier to stay home and watch TV. It's easier to do this or that or you know, just, just do what I want to do. And we sense no re- responsibility or care for other people other than ourselves. These things ought not to be among the people of God. We are to be other-centered, care about our brothers and sisters, and do the things that are sometimes difficult. Times are, are difficult now. But I would say the times, especially maybe in our state, other states where the riots and other things, this, that's heavy-duty stuff. This, I'm not going to dump. That is, that's rough sledding. As Jeremiah was exhorted by the Lord, look, son, paraphrasing, if you can't keep up with the footmen, how will you ever keep up with the horsemen? If the church can't be faithful to God in these times when it's easier running with the footmen, how is it when persecution and trials and tribulations come in a multitude of ways, will you ever keep up with the horsemen? You won't. Your your faith will fail you. And you'll turn your back on God and you'll run. We don't pick and choose when God's grace. We must depend upon it and humble ourselves before it, before him to receive it. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. And this is what I'm saying. Your lack of church attendance is because of your unbelief. You don't see it and you don't think it's true and you don't think that it matters. It does matter, and it is an expression. Now, there are things that come up. You get sick. You're out of town. I'm not saying you... We're not talking about 100% perfect church attendance here. We're talking about a commitment. Are you, when you can't make it, are you there in spirit? That shows and reveals the heart. I didn't really have this stuff in my notes, just by the way. So this is a word from heaven for you, for someone, maybe more than one. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. You know, sometimes we don't appreciate what we have until it's taken from us. And we can all, we've all tasted that bitter pill if we've lived it any length of time. You've got to take advantage of the blessings and appreciate the blessings you have as they're here. And I think this is really how uh, it happened in the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. It wasn't until after he was crucified that they realized, oh my, oh, oh my. Can you imagine how his brothers, can you imagine how his mother, I mean, I think she already had understood, so I'll kind of leave her out of this in one sense. He really is the Lord. And we blew him off. We did not honor him. We did not respect him. We were jealous of him. We resented him. Ooh. Living without honor. And how did Jesus respond to those who mistreated him in that manner? Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. It's not about what people think, really. We care about it, but we, you know it should be very much secondary to what God thinks. 
Amen? Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus himself is not a one and done type person? Even in our failures, in our times that we've missed the mark, he doesn't cast us off. Look, come on, come on, you can do this, you can do this. As a parent with a child, encouraging that child, so the Lord encourages us, look, acknowledge you're wrong, I got it, let's move on. You can do this. You can do this. For those of us who do come, and I thought, I think this morning, uh, it, it must have happened because the Lord's presence here is significant in our worship time of, in song. We should we should view our gatherings together as a very special occasion because in no other way can we experience the presence of God than when we are gathered together as his family. The power and presence of God is, so, is made manifest. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what the scriptures tell us. There's something very special and we should never take it for granted no matter how large our church or how small our church may be. It's so important. But one of the things in coming together is that we come prepared. Now there are those mornings that, you know, Sunday mornings can be scrambled eggs. I get it. It can be tough. But do the best you can to prepare your hearts. Don't come in here unclothed, so to speak, spiritually speaking. Take time to, Lord, give me ears to hear what you have to say today. What do you want to do today? Do you want to use me today in some way to minister to, to one of my brothers or sisters? Be opening your heart, preparing your heart before you walk through that door and be expecting God to do something special when you sit down and, and we begin to lift our voices in praise. What does God want to do? Always being aware, not coming like, oh, you know, what's in it for me? And, you know, whatever, I'm going to go into church today. I mean, come on, man. We should be filled with the awe and wonder of our God. And, and Sunday mornings, Wednesday evenings, whenever we get together, for even a simple Bible study or even the prayer meetings, what's God going to do? You know, he's, he's, he's clever. The Lord slips stuff in all the time. It's like, whoa, that, that was really unexpected. It's really, it's, it's just, a, it's so much fun. It's so joyful to be part of what God's doing and to be caught in unawares and an unexpected thing that it's just, brings joy. So it's it's not a whole hum drum thing. This church is alive. Let's appreciate what God is doing. I do. I appreciate you all and I appreciate your faithfulness and I recognize it. I want everybody. I'm jealous for that. That's part of the motivation for saying some of this. I want to see everyone blessed and everyone reach their zenith as it were the calling and purpose that God has ordained for each life. So when you're having one of those scrambled eggs Sunday mornings and you don't feel like you should come to church, I'm just a train wreck, overcome. Lord, help me. Have mercy upon me. He will. And he'll adjust you according. And you find in those times when you come, when you really didn't want to come and you didn't really want to pray that prayer, you did it anyway. And all of a sudden you find yourself totally lifted 
and blessed. That's God's mercy, God's grace. He just loves lifting up those that are downcast. Don't let the enemy rip you off. And it just really burns me, to be honest with you, when people let the enemy continually rip them off, steal from them the blessing that God has intended for them. And those of us who walk in that victory, let's just keep praying. We are all can fail in this area. So God help us. I think one of the big things that can come into play here, as it did with Jesus, is familiarity. You know, his family was familiar with him. The citizens were familiar with him. They couldn't, you know, maybe churches become, oh, well, it's just church. Oh, don't let church become so familiar in that sense that you don't see the significance of it all. I wanted to spend the bulk of my time there because that's the need in our church and in the church of Jesus Christ. Verses 7 through 13 Again, as a repetition, this is in the gospel, other Gospels as well. Jesus sending out the twelve. He called in verse 7, <clears throat> the twelve to himself. Notice here, I notice himself is in italicized, which means it's not in the Greek. He called the twelve and began to send them out. He called them, you're called. You're called. You're the called out ones. The Ecclesia. He began to send them out two by two and give them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and do not put on two tunics. And also he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there until you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake the dust off from under your feet as a testimony against them. Surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. And so they went out pre- and preached that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed them, anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The church has the same mission today. That authority has been delegated to us. We are his disciples. We are learners. We're learning the Lord's ways. We, we are sons of God. We're daughters of God. We have been given authority because we are created in the image of God. We are here on this planet representing him. And he has commanded us to do exactly what he was doing. He taught. He healed and worked miracles. And then they taught and they worked miracles. We just follow in the steps He's simply delegating this authority. Now think about this. They'd only been with him a short time. I mean, his whole ministry was only three and a half years. Well, we can't send anybody out that soon because they need to grow in the Lord. Man, I don't see that. I mean, I want to get people, as soon as you get saved, you get involved in the ministry. I was saved. I was immediately involved in a ministry. Don't wait. Oh, well, I need to become more mature. You're going to grow, on, grow as you go. You'll grow as you go. But let me point out here quickly, as we come to the end here, the method of discipleship. 
And Jesus has set the pattern for us and for the church here. Jesus talked about the work. He taught them. You know, the, the Beatitudes. He, he taught. And then he worked. And the disciples, secondly, as he was teaching and working, they observed. Jesus did it, and they watched. And then Jesus had them do the work while uh, with him. They passed out the bread. They passed out the fish. They were part of what he was doing. He's working with them. One, Jesus taught about the work. Secondly, Jesus did the work and his disciples observed. Three, the disciples helped Jesus do the work. Number four, Jesus helped the disciples do the work. So first, they're helping him. Now he's helping them. And this is sort of how it plays out. He's watching. They're working. And then he sends them out all by themselves, two at a time. And then they, what do they do? They teach others to do. You see how it's, this is a perpetuating thing throughout the centuries. We just repeat what we've learned. That's why you can just read the Bible and do it. <laughs> I mean, this is how I've come to, to know and understand the, the ways of the Lord. Just what I read, I try to put into practice the best I can. And don't, I, you know, I don't think the Lord expects perfection. He knows we're going to make mistakes, but we learn. It's tr- some of it's, it is trial and error. How is this gift supposed to work in my life, through my life? You know, there's people that have been called into a healing ministry. I don't know that I've been per se, but I will lay hands on people and pray for people. There are people that really, God seems to really use them, for example, in this area. And they will tell you that it took them a while to really figure out how that gift works through them. And it's not a, and it's different almost every time to some degree. You know, as we see that in the scripture, Jesus never seemed to do the same thing twice. <laughs> so there's no formula there. But you get used to how that gift works in your life. And if you try and you step out and it doesn't work, don't stop stepping out. Keep trying. You will learn. You will learn. We will grow. Do not be intimidated by it. Keep moving in that direction. But notice he sent them out two by two. Don't do it. Try to be a lone ranger. You know, a maverick on your own. No, just trust that God's going to hook you up with a like-minded individual and you're going to, you can team up and do the things you need to do. We've been given authority. We've been given instructions. All we have to do now is simply obey. I'd love to finish this next section of John the Baptist, but we'll pick it up next week. Let's take a few moments here as the worship team comes back up and Leads us in some closing songs. Just um, I think what's important is that we take to heart the lessons that are here. You might be doing your very best. You might be walking in complete victory and you're very content in your ministry and God is using you in a powerful way. I am, And I rejoice with you. Don't be discouraged or don't be surprised if you're not appreciated or you're not honored. And this is kind of what Jesus actually prepared them for. As you look at this particular chapter, Jesus was without honor. The disciples are going to go out and they're going to suffer the same thing. They're going to do their ministry without the recognition of men, without being honored. And look how it panned out for John the Baptist. 
Was he honored? He took his head. So that's another preconceived idea. Just because we're walking in obedience, we think everything ought to just go perfect. It's nothing but blessings, you know. Nothing, no downfalls, no trials, no tribulations. That would be a, a misconception. Or to expect persecution. That's one of those great and precious promises we're not so <laughs> glad to embrace, are we? But don't be surprised if it happens. If we suffer persecution or if you're not respected, we, we, what we learn from that is to, to remain vertical. Keep our eyes on our Father. Trust Him. And we have each other. See, that's the wonderful thing. You know, Peter talks about, don't think it's strange that these things that come upon you, these trials. So we have each other to encourage and to say, hey man, I, I'm with you. And that's what, I think that's what the Lord wants us to remember. We have one another. Let's appreciate, let's stand and let's appreciate what God is doing. Father, thank you again for your word. May as we take these last few minutes to meditate on you and Take in the exhortation from your word this morning. Father, may it just the truth resonate, resonate within our hearts, Lord. And, we're, and we give you permission to transform. Make us more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>